Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as host Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. This is your host, Mike Abadir, and I'm joined by my co-host, Gino Bacola. And Gino, you know why this is my absolute favorite time of the sports calendar year? It's because we are in the middle of an epic World Series. NBA opening week has started. We're in full force with the NFL season. College football is having an epic season, as always. Can't wait for Ohio State and Penn State. NHL is going on, MLS playoffs, and you know what's next week, Gino? Why don't you tell us a little bit about what we got going on to look forward to next week? Well, you know, it was, it's nice because I can have the USC Trojans get absolutely crushed by Notre Dame. Um, I can have my hopes dashed by the Dodgers last night, but I can't be too upset in a great game. And then right afterwards, I can have the Lakers at least win and pick me up a little bit. So I have so many opportunities, even when one of my teams loses, the other one loses, I can at least get a little bit of satisfaction when one comes back with a win. And then next week, we're going to be making lots of money because it is Breeders' Cup. And for the next few weeks, Mike, we're going to have lots of Breeders' Cup on the show. Today, we're going to have two great interviews with trainers who will hopefully have some horses running next week. And we can talk all about Breeders' Cup with Richard Baltus and Mark Cassie. And then next week is going to be more of a handicapping show where we'll have four different guests on to break down a race or two. You and I will give our opinions on the uh, the Breeders' Cup races and um, lots of horse racing talk over the next few weeks right before the two biggest days of the sport. Let's get right to it then, shall we? Let's bring in our first guest. All right. So our first guest just won the most recent Del Mar meets trainer's title. He's been on an upward trajectory over the last five or so years. Ex- ex- Every, with each and every year, excuse me, he's exceeded his earnings and he's got two horses that if they make it into the Breeders' Cup championships will show that they are perhaps some of the most uh, value, best value plays in the entire uh, championships. I'm talking about Richard Baltus. Richard, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you, guys. I apologize for the less than flattering uh, in- introduction there. I actually, I, uh, as Gino knows, I, uh, I, I chew tobacco, and some of, the, some of the tobacco actually went down my throat, and I was trying to prevent myself from a choking on well, it. So, well, well, I'll give oh, him yeah, a little better. That. I'll give him a little better intro, Mikey. How about this? This is a guy who had never started more than sixty-five horses in a year from ninety-one to two thousand twelve, with seventeen years with at least one starter, and in twenty thirteen, nineteen winners. In uh, 122 starts in 2014, up to 42 wins in 229 starts in 2015, up to 74 wins in 350 starts in 2016, broke that record again, 79 wins in 460 starts and is going to break that record again in 2017 with 77 wins in 435 starts. We remember some of the big horses that he's had Freedom Quest back in 2001. Big Mocker was one of my personal favorites, who was a really good grade one winner, multiple grade stakes winning sprinter right here on the west coast spanish queen free rose and then we may be seeing good year for roses and gato del oro in the breeders cup madame dance lot just finished third in the qe2 uh this is a gentleman who has been rolling the last few years is that a little bit better mike 
a lot better. Thank you for uh, my, my excusing my flame out and coming in and, and being a great closer on that. Richie, good morning, back. and how are you? I'm doing great. Doing great, yes. Outstanding. So let's get the thing started by just asking you in general, what do you think of the Breeders' Cup being in Del Mar for the first time? Uh, I think it's great. I mean, Del Mar is a good, good facility. It's right on the ocean. There's a lot of nice restaurants and hotels and... Um, you know, I think they're going to put on a good show, and it's going to be great. Uh, now, how will it be different than the previous ones locally here in Southern California at Santa Anita, for example? Oh, I don't know. I mean, Del Mar is, you know, it's it's right there on the ocean. Santa Anita is right there on the mountains. They're both beautiful facilities in their own right, and, um, you know, I, like, like, like Keeneland, when they had the Breeders' Cup, I thought it might be a little too small there, but they did a great job of Keeneland as well. Del Mar is a little bit smaller than Santa Anita, but, you know, the Breeders' Cup, when they when they put on a show, it does really well. And, you know, the weather is usually good in California. I think that's why they have it here most of the time. And I'm expecting a great, a great day, great couple days, actually. Outstanding. Now, we've had a couple of fall meets under our belt with – the humidity in the summer and the way the track runs in the summer, how is it different in the fall and how is your preparation adjusted or is it for the fall? I don't really think it's adjusted too much. I mean, the weather's a little bit cooler, which is always better for the horses. Um, it's better for their breathing. It's just, it's just better overall. Horses do well in cooler weather. Uh, it's not too cold, you know, and, I don't know if you ever lived in Southern California or, you know, the weather by the ocean is always kind of the same. You know, it's probably 20 degrees difference where if you're like at Santa Anita by the mountains, it could be 40, degree, 40 degrees difference between the morning and the afternoon. So I think, I think the horses do well in Del Mar. I think they like the ocean air. Um, other, as far as training, I don't think it makes a difference. Now, do you think there's some home field advantage for trainers that are locally based here versus the ones that are shipping in from the East Coast or even better yet, the ones that are shipping in from Europe or around the world? I really believe that. I, you know, I, I've shipped a lot of horses and you're always at a disadvantage. I mean, when, you're, when your horse is here at the stable and they can just walk over and, and you know, run in the race, it's, I think it's always a little bit easier. I mean, the great horses are great horses and... Usually they have the good minds and they can ship anywhere and win. But it's always an advantage to, to run on your own stall. Uh, Richard, uh, we've, we've really seen you kind of jump into the national spotlight as we went through your stats over the last five years. What has it that's, that's been able to make that jump for you? And what, what's been different for you in the last five years versus the first, you know, 15 years or so where you were starting a lot less horses, um, new owners? What, what, what's been really the difference for you making that jump up onto the main stage where you're actually going to have an opportunity now to hopefully have a couple horses running in the Breeders' Cup? Um, I think back, you know, it's really hard to get started in this business. Um, when you're training horses, you got to have clients and horses, first of all. Um, and, you know, I was an assistant trainer for many years for different people, and I tried training. The training gig is not an easy thing to get, break into, you know. I always tell people, like, if you want to be in this business, you have to be in it, and you got to love it because you're going to have some lean years, you know. Um, 
everybody starts somewhere. I had a lot of lean years there where I just didn't have the horses or didn't have the clients even, you know, when I had Freedom Crest, you know, that was in 2001. I claimed the horse in 99 for Maiden 32. You know, I could always train a horse. I just didn't have the horses. Similar with Big so, Mocker. It was, a, it was another horse Big that Mocker you... Big Mocker was you, a maiden, maiden claimer, too. I claimed him for yeah. 20, I think, or 20 or 30 as a maiden. Uh, you know, they developed into being really good horses and took them to the, to the, you know, the national stage. Now it's a little bit different where I have, you know, close to 100 horses. Um, I have a lot of good clients that support me, and they, they believe in me, and so... I think the horses are doing the talking. Um, it's just a matter of now that I have enough horses to train that, um, you know, I have to do things. I got to go to the sales. I got to buy horses. I got to put young horses in the barn. I mean, I'm not so big on claiming horses as much as I used to be, you know, because it's not, the, it's not an easy thing to do to claim a horse and, and win a grade one with them, you know? So, um, it's really about getting the clients, but you got to prove yourself and you got to continuously win races, and then people will start sending you horses. Now, you've previously mentioned in interviews and on air about how you're really big on taking care of the horses. What is it exactly that you mean when you say that? Um, what I mean is, you know, just making sure that the horse gets everything they need from. You know, whatever, ulcer medicine or ice or the grooms are doing their job and, you know, not sparing any expense. Uh, just basically making sure that everybody's taken care of properly. And, you know, you look at the horses a lot and you go over the horses a lot and you don't breathe them when they're not 100%. And, you know, just there's just a lot of things you need to do you got to be on top of, especially when you get a lot of horses. No, it's not. Every horse is an individual, and you have to treat them that way. You just don't train out the training chart. Are those some of the things today? Those are things that I've always done. Sure, and I was just going to ask: Are those some of the things that you picked up from some of the other trainers that you've worked for? I know that Richard Mandela has been a mentor of yours in the past, as well as uh, Tommy Skiffington in New York. What uh, What are some of the things that you've picked up from them, and and are are some of the things that you just talked about things that they incorporate? And then did you? modify that in your own special way to put your touch on things? Yeah, I think, you know, obviously, I think the guys that are successful do take good care of their horses. And, you know, like, you have to just, you just have to just, well, I don't know. When I was, like, working for a lot of different people, I learned a little little things. They Everybody trains a little bit differently, but guys that are successful are successful for a reason. And, you know... You can do what they do a little bit, or you can do your own thing. But um, you know, the respect of the guys that I've worked for has really affected me. You know, I I have a lot of admiration for the guys I used to work for. They gave me a job, you know, and um, they taught me well. Clearly. Based on the numbers, uh, I think that would suggest that not only have they taught you well, but that you've taken things to the next level to achieve national prominence. And let's talk about that with two potential Breeders' Cup runners. And the reason I say potential is because they are on the also eligible list. Richard, could you explain to us what that exactly means and what will it take for your horses to get into the 
Las Vegas Dirt Mile and the Phillies and Mary Turf races on Friday and Saturday of next week? Yeah. Well, the Breeders' Cup has a selection committee. Well, they have also have a win and you're in thing, and it's also done on points. So they have their win and you're in races, and if you win a race, a prior race, it's a win and you're in, you're automatically in, and you, your fees are paid. Then they have a selection committee. So all the horses that are pre-entered, which was last week, um, most of the selection committee is a bunch of racing secretaries throughout the country, and I think there's some people from Europe, and they go over the horses, and they decide who gets in and, you know, who does not get in. So um, even though I'm on the also eligible list, which means... I think um, there's there's 14 runners. I'm number 15 with Goodyear for Roses, and I think I'm number 16 with Gato del Oro. So, um, you know, if a horse comes over or, or one of the people, they ship over here or they don't come, you know, I'm going to scratch in. If somebody gets sick, I'm going to scratch in. Um, so I kind of like, I don't know if you'd like to explain it like being on standby, waiting for a plane. You know, good analogy. <laughs> that's, that's that's a good analogy. Like, you know, you're you're you got a chance to get on, but you know, you got to be ready. You got to be there, and you know, keep your fingers crossed. So that's what I, what I am am really um, curious about too, because for my own personal gains, I actually have Gato Del Oro on my fantasy horse racing stable that uh, that I have going right now. And what what I like about both of uh, your horses, Richard, is that. If they get in, and Mike was mentioning early on, what they have is that local success. And they could be very, very competitive, you know, because they are horses that have local success, pretty versatile horses. Gato Teloro, you know, to start with, he's a horse who has good speed, who's going to be cutting back a little bit from a mile and an eighth last time out. He's proven at Del Mar. He's, you know, he's defeated a couple really nice horses. Um if he gets in, he would be live, very live. If he doesn't get in, what would be plan B? Do you have any other races maybe circled for him? Yeah, there's a, actually there's a race um, going seven-eighths of a mile to Damascus the same day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he's cross-centered in that. I mean, I, I mean, I've nominated him for that race. So if he doesn't get in the dirt mile, which, you know, I believe is the extremely tough race, um, he'll probably run into Damascus. So... That's that's we're covered there, with roses. Um, I don't th- I don't know about we gonna where we're gonna go. You know, um, I'm just hoping she gets in because she's training so well right now and uh, took the blinkers back off of her and she just seems like she's she's ready for a top effort. So hopefully, keep her fingers crossed there. Now with Goodyear for roses, you know she didn't fire in the Rodeo Drive and she didn't seem to be too happy at Del Mar. But she's training really well right now. Is it, it was yeah. is it more a, a case that she was having some foot issues and 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 those are now fixed, or are you just feeling that the the Lamar thing was a little bit fluky? Um, I uh, yeah, I, I've I've spoken about the foot issues before she had in Delmar. You know, um, she just uh, she's a European or no, she's she's from Canada. She has like. She doesn't have the greatest feet in the world, um, and so we tried some glue-ons on her, and, you know, the thing about the glue-ons is when you put them on, you usually got to leave them on for 30 days, and uh, she, you know, I don't think she really liked them 100%. It's not like she was training horrible. She was just, she wasn't herself down there, and um, 
I did put blinkers on her, and she did run good there. But I think, you know, when I ran her back here in the Rodeo Drive, she got a little keen down the backside, and she didn't run a race. You know, she kind of ran off a little bit down the backside. And uh, you know, I was telling I was telling the owners that, you know, we need to take the blinkers off, um, and she needs to train 100% going into the Breeders' Cup if we're going to run. I mean, we're not even going to enter. So she did train. She's been training awesome. Um, and I just watched her gallop today, and I'm just like, I hope she gets in because she's doing so good. Is she going to get one more work in on Sunday? I think we're probably going to work her in Del Mar on the turf, yeah, on Sunday. And uh, she'll be ready to go. And are you going to have uh, Nakatani uh, on board Corey, if she gets in? Corey, yeah, Corey, Corey's taking a call. He's giving us the call. Oh, you know. What, one more horse to uh, ask you about, one that won't be uh, running in the Breeders' Cup, but a horse that I've become a pretty big fan of over the last few months. That's Madame Dancelot, who was a, a really good third in the, the QE2. Do you have any plans for uh, for this one, who has become a really, really nice horse here on the grass? Yeah, she she's really gotten to, to do well on the turf going longer. You know, she was kind of sprinting type of horse that was on the bridle all the time. We just got her to relax and then we ran her along. She won the grade two and then she, she should have, I don't say she should have won the Delmar Oaks, but she did have a little trouble there and she could have won it. And I I thought she ran great. Like you said, in the Kiwi two and there was no pace. The horses went around there one, two and she was, she was third best, but she was closing. She ran well. So um, she's a three year old filly. We're going to probably wait for Santa Anita. They have the American Oaks, and that's a grade one race, and I think that's what we're playing for. And, and lastly, uh, for closing weekend here at Santa Anita, do you have any horses for us to take a, to keep an eye out on? Uh, any any horses from your stable? Yeah, we're running a bunch. Um, God, I can't even remember all of them. We got a, we got four in today. I like Tribal Fighter a little bit down the hill. He's coming in fresh. Um, tomorrow we have a couple and then Sunday I have three in the stake on the turf. It's a three old Philly stake, uh, mile in the grass. I have a Philly named Tapped with Mike Smith. It's training very, very well. And there's two other pretty good Phillies that I have in there. Kathy Song and a new purchase called Reversed who's training well as well. So, I'm kind of stacked with these three-year-old fillies on the grass, so nice. Uh, everybody wants to run, so we're running. We're running them all. Excellent. Well, I'll tell you what, Richie. We've had a pretty good run for guests that have come onto our show. Gino and I have talked about this, whether it be the field goal cooker from Syracuse or whether it be Jerry Harrison Jr. from, from the Dodgers broadcast team. It seems like any time that we bring on a guest and, and they talk about their brand or their personal performance that uh, – you know, they immediately succeed. So we're, we're going to look out for you at close strong at Santa Anita. Hopefully your horses get in uh, next week in the Breeders' Cup and that you have an excellent Del Mar meet and, and come back with a trainer's title. I appreciate it, guys. Always, always nice talking to you. Thank Thanks, you. Richard. Appreciate it, Richard. That's Richard Baltus, and uh, we wish him the best of luck. Hope his horses get in, Gino. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, no joke. I, I didn't even realize it now either because I, I mentioned it a couple times. I play in uh, uh, it's like a private fantasy horse racing league that I've played in for a few years. I got started when I was 
uh, TVG, you know, f- I think five or six years back, and I, I, I love it. But I actually have Gato Del Oro and Madame Dancelot both on my team. So I was really curious, and I want to know where they're running next because I, I got to see, okay, well, am I going to be able to get me some points? And uh, I got great information there from from him that if uh, if Gato Del Oro doesn't get in, we'll be running earlier on the in the Damascus, and then Madame Dancelot will be pointing to Santa Anita. So uh, some good information there. Good stuff from Richie Baltus. So let's take our first commercial break and we will be back in a few short moments and continue with our Breeders' Cup coverage and speak with Norman Cassie from Cassie Stables. We will be right back. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Get ready for the Get Down with Hurley Brown. Want to get inside of the minds of the players and coaches? We'll talk everything sports, but with a focus on the NFL, NBA, and college football. We'll review and preview the week's big games. We'll talk about the draft choices and free agents and go inside the teams for news, recruiting, and what's next from the colleges to the pro teams. It's the Get Down with Hurley Brown, Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific, on Voice America Sports. If you're looking for more information on firearms and the shooting sports, check out Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Kelly is the owner of McMillan Fiberglass Stocks with over 40 years of experience. Now he's ready to share some industry luminaries and their perspectives with you. If you're interested in firearms, whether it be for shooting, for fun, competition, hunting, or self-defense, Kelly is here to share his wisdom and experience. Listen live for Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan, Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back. You are with Mike and Gino talking sports. Great first segment outside of my uh, my flame out and choke job in the first minute there. But it was uh, a literal it was a literal choke job. Literal choke job. But yeah, it's we, we got past it. I'm glad that you're with me to help help uh, land the ship safely. W- one one uh, one thing that I wanted to talk about really quickly before we resume with our Breeders' Cup talk is last night's game. Oh, Probably man. one of the most epic World Series games I've seen in my lifetime. Maybe yeah. since the Kirk Gibson home run. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm honestly a little frustrated at Dodger fans because I saw a lot of Dodger fans, you know, reacting, you know, wanting to take shots at Dave Roberts, getting mad at uh, some of the players even. This is a team that's lost one game so far in the playoffs by one run. They, uh, they swept through the first round. They lost one game to the Cubs by one run. Could have very easily swept the Cubs there. And they lost an epic game last night. They played excellent baseball. Last night was probably one of the first times where not everything went perfect for the Dodgers. Not everything went right. And it, that's going to happen. It's not going to be easy in baseball. I just think a lot of the Dodger fans assumed it was going to be easy because things were so easy for the last few weeks here. But... This is a very, very good baseball team in the Houston Astros. They have the best offense in the league. They are going to start to score runs. And 
you know, if they go right through Kenley Jensen, they deserve to win the game. Well, you use the word, you use the word easy. And, and let me tell you why it's easy to be critical of managerial decisions in, in the postseason. Unlike, let's say, football. In the NFL playoffs, you don't necessarily start having a quarterback rotation, you know, um, that you didn't have. You know, if, if Matt Ryan's your quarterback, you're going to go with Matt Ryan the whole game. Whereas in baseball, it's a little bit different, right? Because now you're using your starting pitcher in relief and you're using your starter for 60 pitches or what, you know, whatever the case may be. And so I understand a little bit in terms of being able to scrutinize some of the managerial decisions. What did you think about Hill being pulled after, was it four innings and seven strikeouts, 60, 61 pitches, something like that? You know, it's another one of those instances where, uh, where, it's easy afterwards to go back and criticize. I think pulling in the fourth was a little too easy with Hill, but he only had 60 pitches, three hits, three walks, one earned in seven Ks. But there was a big string of right-handers coming up, and the Dodgers have been doing this all season long. They don't like getting their starting pitchers uh, to a lineup the third time through. Their bullpen's been incredible. You know, We'll table this discussion for a, a little bit later on because we have our next guest on the line. I've... Uh, had the privilege of hanging out with Norman Cassie, the son of Mark Cassie, a couple times. I think actually one of the first times we hung out was back when Teppin won the Delta Princess at Delta Downs. Um, this barn, the Cassie barn, has had 35 starters in the Breeders' Cup. They've won three. They finished second five times, a couple thirds, uh, three-fourths, and a fifth. So they've picked up lots of checks in the Breeders' Cup. They've actually earned $4.88 million, which is top 25 all-time already for Breeders' Cup earnings. This is a barn that, just like the Baltus barn we talked about, they continue to set career high after career high in earnings and wins. In earnings, set career highs in 2011, 2012, 2014, 2015, and then 2016 was $17.9 million in earnings. How about wins? 2011, 140. 2014, 155. 2015, 159. 2016, 235 wins. You're going to remember horses like... Tevin, the Breeders' Cup mile winner, earned over $4 million. Classic Empire, the Breeders' Cup juvenile winner, earned over $2.5 million. World Approval, who we'll see in the Breeders' Cup this year. Catch a glimpse, Breeders' Cup juvenile Phillies turf winner, Sealy Hill, Lexi Lou, Pool Play, Noble Bird. Just to name some of the big guns, we welcome in Norman Cassie. Norman, what's going on, buddy? What's up, Norman? Hey, Gino. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. This is, uh, is going to be a lot of fun, I think. Oh, yeah. So, they... Just the first question before we get into all the Raiders Cup. I was you know, looking up some of your numbers and researching the other day. What, what's the most horses you've had start at different tracks in one day? Because I think I saw the other day you had at least four different tracks where you had horses entered. Uh, I, I, I would assume that's <laughs> got to be the most. We do have multiple divisions all over the country, which I think is one of the reasons why we've been so much more effective the last two or three years. But uh, I'd say four or five. You know, at the most, depending on, you know, a weekend like a Delta Downs weekend. But uh, it's, it's, it's quite a feat to, um, <clears throat> to think about what, what we've done the last three or four years. And what you've done in the last uh, two months, Field of Courage with the grade two New Yardic win, La Colonel with the grade one QE2 win, Flame Away with the grade three Bourbon win, Wonder Got It 
um, with uh, the Mazarin win, and you actually ran 1-2 in the Mazarin that day. Heavenly Love with the grade, C, grade 1 Alcibiades win. You ran 1-3 in that Grade 1 Alcibiades. Awesome Slew with the Grade 3 ACAC win, and then World Approval with a Grade 1 Woodbine Mile win. That's not uh, like a a career that's not that's just a couple months it seems like everybody is firing right now at a very very nice time to be firing yeah we really had a you know we really had a a slow saratoga really disappointing summer but when things like that happen you just got to kind of put your head down and keep grinding and eventually you knew things were going to start clicking again and for whatever reason our barn always seems to light up during the fall for whatever reason. Dad would like to tell everybody that it's by design. I don't know about that. We try to win every time we're in the race. Um, but I think you hit the nail on the head. It seems to be firing off cylinders right now, and it gives you a whole lot of confidence when you're going into the Breeders' Cup, a big championship weekend like we're doing, and all the horses seem to be doing the best that they can do and really are at the peak of their performance. So um, we have a lot to look forward to this, this coming weekend. We're here with uh, Norman Cassie, assistant trainer for Mark Cassie, son of Mark Cassie. And one one thing I've noticed, Norman, not trying to, uh, you're my buddy. I'm not trying to pat you on the back too much and not trying to, uh, to fluff you all that much here. But in the last few years with those numbers, you know, in the last, you know, five years in particular, I think a, a lot of that has to do with you in particular becoming a lot more of a hands-on presence. The relationship you and your dad have, I think the fact that you've kind of, you know, grown into taking care of these these horses, like Teppin was the one that everybody talks about when they talk about you, how you really you really took care of Teppin and kind of got her to the next level. So what I kind of asked Richard Balsas the same thing a little bit earlier. What in particular in the last five, six years has been the difference for you guys being able to expand all over like you have? Well, I, I you know, I and Gino, I appreciate that. And- um, it's a team effort. It really is. Just happened to get very, very lucky. We get to train for some really, really good people. Some people that have put a lot of faith in us and, and, and let us do what we feel like is necessary to do to win. And, and then what we did is I think probably in the last five or six years, the big, big change was branching away from Woodbine, going to Kentucky, going to New York, exposing ourselves to the harder circuits in the country. And when you do that, and the horses run and they run well, it's easier to figure out where they fit and where they belong. And um, and I guess it's kind of like a snow snowball effect. Once you figure that out, you start getting into a little bit of a rhythm. Your confidence builds. The horse's confidence builds. And next thing you know, you're winning races all over the country. And um, I do like to take a lot of the credit. I feel really good. I, uh, I, I do because, you know, the big thing that I did, did as far as the company was just I nagged Dad to death to leave Woodbine. And it's not that Woodbine's a, a terrible place. It's an awesome place. It's a, uh, it's a world-class facility. The racing is really top-notch there. But I'm from Kentucky. I was born and raised in Louisville. And I wanted to be at Churchill, and I wanted to be at Kingwin. And I really think once we went back to Kentucky and got our, you know, a strong foothold there, so to speak, things really started blowing up for us. So that's the part that I like to take credit for. 
Norman, this is Mike here. Wanted to jump in with a couple of questions. First off, is your t- any? Uh, I guess who from your team is out here, and when will the rest of the team arrive to Del Mar? Uh, nobody's there yet. We um we all ship there Monday morning. The team and um and the horses getting there uh, last possible second if you're a Kentucky-based horseman. So uh, that's kind of what we've done the last two or three California-based Breeders' Cups. We get we come right out on top of the race and. Last year, we won the Breeders' Cup Juvenile with Classic Empire, and Teppin got beat a really long neck, and uh, all of our horses ran really well. So we're really comfortable doing all the brunt work, so to speak, at our home track and then shipping in right on top of the race. Now, you mentioned the last few Breeders' Cups in California. This one is a little bit different because it's at Del Mar for the first time as a venue. What type of things do you guys do in terms of advanced scouting, if you will, and just in preparation for the very first Breeders' Cup in Del Mar and that fact that this is happening in the fall, whereas traditionally the Del Mar meets have been in the summertime. Um, I asked Richard Baltus a similar question, but, you know, what, what, between weather, you know, maybe a little bit of humidity, not as much as the summer, what type of things do you guys put into your preparation for your horses to get ready for this surface and uh, – and, you know, just a, a new venue, if you will, for the Breeders' Cup Championships? Uh, yeah, I don't know if there's anything in particular that we do. Uh, uh, one, of the, one of the other main things that we've done the last two or three years that has been really successful for us is that we didn't stress so much about getting a horse to a new track and getting acclimated, maybe having a serious workout there before they run. What we've discovered is let the horses be comfortable at their home track, which for the majority of these horses that we're sending out there is actually Churchill Down, letting them do all their heavy lifting at Churchill, letting them sleep in their own bed, so to speak, and then it's kind of like an away game for a, for a football team. They just show up the night before, maybe even the, the morning of, depending on the city, and, um, <clears throat> and it allows us to perform at the highest level. We're all doing the same thing. The California horsemen are probably at a little bit of an advantage because they're obviously based there. We all know the type of quirks each racetrack has, so we understand, you know, Del Mar's got a short stretch, the turf course has really got tight turns, those type of things. But that's one of the cool things about the Breeders' Cup. Each track is different, and you just have to, you almost have to get lucky. Like, we feel really fortunate that the Breeders' Cup is at Del Mar this year because we feel like world approval is actually going to have a big, big advantage in the turf mile because of the way that the turf is. And then by that, I mean, we're really tight turns, and he's going to be sitting close and he's going to really appreciate those tight turns. Whereas Europeans may struggle with it a little bit more. And that's nothing that we can really prepare for. It's just something that we already know. Well, before we get to world approval, let's start with, uh, one of the Friday races, the Las Vegas Dirt Mile, you have Awesome Slough for uh, one of several Live Oak Plantation runners that you've got in uh, the Breeders' Cup Championships. Obviously, this is going to be a race that you know features some heavy hitters, you know Cupid and More Spirit, <laughs> uh, Battle of Midway, uh, several that are going to be getting a lot of the attention. Uh, awesome Slough is is definitely worthy of consideration. How do you see this race setting up, and where do you want uh, Awesome Slough to be positioned? Uh, you know, truthfully, the way I see it is it's it's going to be the way that they've run the dirt mile the last 
two or three years when it's been a two-turn race. The heavy hitters are going to send their horses because they feel like that's what they have to do. And a lot of the times that works, and they run and they run everybody off their feet, and um, it's a very successful way of winning that particular race. With that being said, Awesome Slew has always been a horse that breaks sharp and then falls back a little bit, and we've never really tried to get him out of that rhythm. We've kind of let him do that. Uh, but I, I think going into this race and going forward, especially especially the way this race is setting up, we're going to have to send him a little bit away because if those horses get a huge lead on us, it's going to be an advantage that we're not going to be able to break. So we're going to have to be sitting, you know, third, maybe not, not third, but like second, third flight back, no further than that. If we want to have a chance of winning the race and the horse is doing extremely well, this is the, this was the game plan all summer falls that we would run him in the dirt mile. We gave him a little easier race, got some class relief in the act and gave him a race to really kind of build up some confidence. And um, he's really worked well since then, and, you know, we'll see what happens. Now, Corey Lannery was the uh, pilot in the ACAC. Who will be the uh, rider piloting him on the, in, uh, in the Las Vegas Dirt Mile? I'm not sure that it's 100% official yet who rides him. I'm assuming we're going to get Johnny Velasquez. I don't know if all the deals, all, everything has been ironed out yet, but... Um, I know Mrs. Weber's really happy with the way that Johnny's been riding our horses for her, and um, he, he, he obviously knows the horse having ridden him before. So I'm thinking that's the way that it's going to end up uh, you know, on that Friday. We, uh, we'll talk about one more before we take a, a quick break, and uh, that's going to be Flame Away, who, has, who you have in the juvenile turf. Now, uh, are we going to actually get to see Flame Away on the grass this time? You've tried to get this horse on the, on the grass a couple times, but at Saratoga and at Keeneland, the races were rained off the grass. That didn't matter. This guy still got the job done and won the grade three bourbon last out. It seems like you've been wanting to get this one on the grass. Um, so obviously you think that this horse can probably even take a step forward on the green. I'm really excited about him. I think he's one of the horses that has a really big, big shot, and I think that he's actually going to be at a big price for all the gamblers that are listening because people are not going to respect him for that very fact that he's actually never been on the turf. I can tell you that I worked him over the turf course at Saratoga. He was at Saratoga with me all summer. I thought that he worked very well. I think on the dirt, he's just an average horse. You put him on, you know, an off-going uh, or not an off-going, but a, a, a sloppy track like he's had his two stake wins on. He, he moves up a little bit. And those type of horses, it kind of reminds me of a horse that we trained named Arrow Force. He was a really good grass horse. He ran in the jockey club. He won that race, but it was just a complete disaster of a track. He really handled the wet surface. And then we put him on traditional dirt, and he was just spinning wheels the whole way around. I think if you look at Flame Away's form, it's very, very similar. And for that reason, I think that he's going to really, you know, take two or three steps forward in the right direction on the turf course uh, out in Del Mar. And, you know, am I going over there with that horse thinking, yeah, we're going to win this thing for sure? No, not necessarily, because we don't, we don't know 100% what he's going to do. But he does give me a lot of confidence that he's going to run a big, big race that day. Norman, you got a few more minutes to stick with us after the break? Yes, sir. Awesome. Let's uh, let's do that then. Let's take a quick break. And when we return, we still got to hit on uh, the three 
Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies horses that Cassie Barn has entered, holding gold and world approval also, who's been one of my favorites over the last few years. So uh, let's take a break right now, Mikey, and then when we get back, we have much more to talk about with Norman Cassie. Let's do it. We'll be right back. Your internet flagship station for sports... sports. Okay, sports fans, here's your opportunity to discuss football, America's favorite sport. On an annual basis, millions of people attend, watch, and listen to football, both pro and college. Ray Ellis Sports, an internet talk radio show, was developed with the fan in mind. Join host, former Philadelphia Eagles and Cleveland Browns strong safety, Ray Ellis, on Voice America Sports every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific for exciting, interactive football discussions from the fan's perspective. Tune in every Tuesday at at 1 p.m. Pacific to Ray Ellis Sports right here on the Voice America Network. And let's talk football. Want to experience football from the perspective of two former players who also have coaching experience? Tune in to Sports Info UM with Daryl Oliver and Sam Sword. We'll talk about the drafts, play-by-play, and even what's happening in the offseason. Daryl and Sam had the connections and the knowledge to bring you the inside stories of the game's past, present, and future. We'll cover the camps, on and off field, and everything else, football and beyond. Sports Info UM is heard Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. It's Mike and Gino enjoying a little Breeders' Cup talk with Norman Cassie, who's got several contenders in the upcoming Breeders' Cup Championships. And where we left off was finishing up talking about the juvenile turf. And we are going to shift gears to the 14 Hands Winery Juvenile Phillies. Love that name. 14 He's getting all the sponsorship I info. And are, they, are they paying you something, Mike, that I don't know about? You sound like a, like a track announcers, Colvis and Becker. They're getting the, all the, the sponsor stuff in, too. Uh, it seems like this one, Norman, I mean, you, you got a real a real full hand in here. I mean, Heavenly Love, you'd imagine, is going to take a lot of money, uh, probably going to be one of the, uh, the the betting choices in this one. I, I thought she was super, super impressive. Um, she actually defeated another one of your horses who was third that day. Uh, you have Geo Game, who won by nine and, and also was extremely impressive over at Keeneland. And, uh, and then you have Wonder Gadget, who was up at Woodbine and who has done absolutely nothing wrong. So it looks like you got a real strong hand in this one. Yeah, we're real excited about all these Phillies. The Heavenly Love, we first got to give a lot of credit to David Carroll and his team. She was actually based at Churchill all summer, and he got her ready. She obviously ran a real big, big race at Kingland and the Alcibiades, and she deserves a lot of respect going into the race. It's, that The Juvenile Phillies has kind of historically always been a wide-open race. I mean, obviously there's been some exceptions like Songbird year and and things like that, but um, it's a, it's 
it seems like it's a really contentious race. I don't know if there's any real standouts, and we feel like all three of our fillies have a really big shot. They're training really well. Um, Wonder Gadot and Geo Game have been workmates the last two weeks. They've been working really well together. Both of them seem to be moving forward and you know at the right time. And then obviously you can't you you don't really have to say much about Heavenly Love because she's already a Grade One winner, and you know her resume speaks for herself. Um, I, I, I guess the the main thing to touch on with those three fillies is just, you know, making sure we bring them in happy and healthy and uh, and doing all the right things to make a horse run at its best on that particular day. And I feel like we've got that under control, and and uh, we'll see how the race shakes out on the Saturday. Norman, let me ask you a question I've always wanted to ask a trainer and kind of haven't ever really had the guts to, 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 to come out and ask it and frame it the right way. But in a race like this, I've always wondered where you have, uh, you know, Gary Barber uh, with Wonder Gatta and uh, John Oxley and, and Debbie Oxley. What are the emotions like for a trainer when, let's just say you win a race with one, you know, one of those runners and you're high-fiving them, but another one of the runners falls flat. What's that emotion like for a trainer, and, and how do those conversations go with the winners and the losers? You know, it's funny you should ask, because we actually won a race two weekends ago called the, the Queen Elizabeth at Kingland. It's, it's not a perfect example, because the horses were owned by, both of them were owned by Mr. Oxley, but we ran two fillies for Mr. Oxley. Luck Cornell won the race. And Dream Dancing, who was already a grade one winner, finished up the track. And for me personally, which were both two horses that I've had it, you know, with me all along, I was happy La Cornell won, but it wasn't like I could go home and celebrate because at the same time I I, I wanted to understand why Dream Dancing didn't run well. Like she had he, she had breathed so well, she seemed like she was really heading in the right direction and she just really laid an egg out on the track for no apparent reason. And it's funny you should ask because that is how it kind of goes. When you have multiple horses in these big races and and definitely with different uh, ownerships and partnerships, you have to be very, very careful not to be overly excited when you win them and the other one didn't run well because you don't want to make anybody too upset. And the key is, is just training them like they're all going to win and then tactically in the race, letting the riders ride their race and not trying to screw with the results of the race too much, trying to be too funny with all the moving parts. Because, you know, we could really control what goes on in that race if we wanted to having three starters, but we're not going to do that. We've never done that. We're going to let the horses settle it out on the racetrack, and, um, and that's the only way to do it fairly for all the parties involved. I have one more uh, question that's, you know, not ex- entirely specific to, uh, well, I guess it is a little bit specific to one of your runners. So if you have a horse shipping in from Woodbine, do they have to go through the 42-hour quarantine period at Del Mar uh, as well for Canadian horses, or is that just for the Europeans and other international that, horses? That's just European. I mean, it is a little bit more of a pain in the butt to to, to ship horses over to Canada and and, and vice versa. We obviously are based at Woodbine. We're very, very good at it. You do have to go through the USDA and get additional paperwork, and there's more of a process. But that's on our end. The horses just get on a van, and they may stop at the border and get an inspection just to confirm it's the animal that is said on the health certificate. But it's not not a big heartache or or a a big, um, 
experience like being in quarantine like it is for the Europeans for the horses coming from Canada. And with a horse like like that filly, she's actually already been down at Churchill. As soon as she won the Mazarine, we shipped her down to Churchill immediately. We wanted to get her acclimated to the dirt. We wanted to see, you know, what my thoughts were on her running on the dirt because I, I feel like we've we've got a really good gauge on what horses, you know, excel on the dirt and she she uh she really proved herself to me in the last month being here that she deserves a shot in the juvenile Phillies dirt race. Got a, another contender in the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint. That is Holding Gold. And Holding Gold's coming off of a sixth-place effort but was only beaten a length and three-quarters. And what's the, the real key, Norman, with these turf sprints is the trip. You know, you got to get the trip. You, you can't get stopped. You can't get necessarily shoved, um, you know, too wide you want to have your momentum going especially with a horse like holding gold who looks like some of his better races are when when you're able to kind of take a hold of him and come running yeah well he's just slow from the gate and it's so funny you should bring that race up because i mean if you if you look at the race just by form it looks like he just he he, he bombed like he ran terribly but the truth of the matter is he was drawn inside he, he got away race. slow like he normally does and Next thing you know, he is just literally behind a wall of horses the entire time. There was not a moment in the race that there was a hole that opened up that he could have run through. So essentially, he didn't run. He, he went out there and galloped behind a wall of horses, and it's a complete throwout. The big negative for him is the way that he gets away bad. His 5-8 races aren't that great, if you look on the racing form. But the truth is, I don't know if it's the 5-8 that's, been his big Achilles heel, or if it's he's caught soft turf when he's running 5'8". Because this horse, if you look at his form, he, he really, really does well on a rock-hard turf course like Belmont Park on Belmont Day, like Kingland opening weekend during the spring meet. And, um, you know, that, that gives you a lot of confidence going to a place like California that doesn't get a whole lot of rain, that's notorious for having really hard turf courses. That's why he's going out there, because we feel like, although it may not be his best distance, he's certainly going to get his preferred surface, and um, you know he deserves a big look in that race. Yeah, it should be a little warm. Only uh, only 102 the last couple days in uh, in like the Pasadena area. It was 94 at Del Mar yesterday, and uh, should be very warm for the next week, so that should be a nice turf course for you. And then one, one horse that, you know, that's it's funny with with a lot of the horses that you have, uh, Norman, and uh, Teppin was like that, and then World Approval, I think it was just, you know, for me, as a fan, I was working some of these times, and I caught these horses very early on in their careers, and then, you know, what happens is you follow along and you become a big fan, and that was the case with World Approval. I, I was such a fan of World Approval, I was actually working, it was the uh, the race at, uh, at Tampa, I-, I believe, and it was... Um, it, it was a race way early on in his career where I, I caught, I saw this horse. I was handicapping the races on TVG, and I said, "It's a pretty good horse." I was looking at the pedigree, and and he was running against, uh, I think, Florida Breds at that time. And then it was right after that that he stepped up into Open Company. He came over to Churchill Downs, and since then, you know, he's always been a a good horse, and he was, you know, a, a Grade One winner last year, and he's always been like a Grade Two, a high Grade Two to a low type Grade One horse. But in the last few. You've cut him back, and he just has some bottom on that turn back. He, um, 
he reminds me a lot of Teppin. I mean, obviously yeah. they're completely different horses, but like, you know, when you lead him over, for one, he's gonna every time. I love World Approval and the horses like World Approval and Teppin that you can train them the way you want to. Like, there's never any hiccups with the way that he trains. So you can say, I'm gonna do this, 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 leading up to a race, and he's gonna do everything you ask him to do. So when you bring him over you're going to have the confidence that you have him fit enough and sharp enough to be ready on a big day. With all that being said, you also know that the horse himself is going to run his eyeballs out for you. Teppin was the same way. It's, they never threw in a clunker. They just don't because they don't know how to do it. So you've got a horse that trains the way you want to train him and runs because he just absolutely loves running. And those are the coolest horses to be around because Going over to the race on Saturday, I'm going to walk over knowing that we're going to have a huge, huge shot to win this race because he's going to he's going to be ready. We're going to have him, you know, we're going to have him primed and ready to go. But more importantly, he's not going to disappoint us. He's going to run run for us. And um, <laughs> when you have a horse like that, when they get a beat in a race like the Belmont and, and, and the Manhattan at Belmont. And say he gets beat one, two lengths, or maybe even the Arlington Million the year before, you really have to take a step back and say, well, why did he get beat? We knew that he was doing well. We know that he tried his hardest. Well, maybe he just doesn't want to go that far. And that's how we came up with it. And it was like, you know what, let's cut him back to a mile and see what happens. And he's been pretty much untouchable ever, ever since. Norman, is Johnny V confirmed on that mount? Yes, that is Johnny V's mount. Uh, Manny, Manny Franco rode him awesome at Saratoga in the four-star day. But after that, we had decided going forward that the Woodbine Mile would be the next start. And we wanted to – Manny had never been to Woodbine. Woodbine's a very quirky turf course, as you guys know. And Johnny had already won four Woodbine Miles. So it just made sense. Put Johnny on the horse. If he wins the Woodbine Mile, he'll get to retain the mount. And that's how we ended up with Johnny on this horse. And I'll tell you, all those things that I just said about world approval, they're very, very true. And then you add, a, add the element of putting on a guy, Hall of Fame trainer, or excuse me, Hall of Fame jockey, and really just a Hall of Fame human being. You just get even that little extra boost of confidence. And uh, I feel really, really good about world approval. Norman, hey, before- we have a... Uh, go, go ahead, well, I just got to jump into the quick one. Before we close things out, Norman, I'm an NFL agent by trade. So I'm going to ask you a question relating to uh, agents. And I've noticed that in horse racing in particular as a sport, there's very little throwing under the bus that happens. So I'm going to ask you a question. You could leave out names if you want. But have you ever had an agent slash jockey stiff you and say, you know, yeah, we're 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 committed to your to your horse. And then they find out that there's maybe a horse that – is a little bit more attractive for whatever reason, and they go with that one, and you're kind of stuck or scrambling to. to, to yeah. Does that stuff type of stuff happen in horse racing? Oh, it happens all the time, it, and that's where you decide. What it happens all the time, but it doesn't necessarily happen to us, and it's not because we're successful or anything like that. I think we pretty much vet who we're going to deal with, and I think the most natural thing is. You, you surround yourself with people that are like you, I think. We surround our people who, you know, operate at the highest level of integrity and everything else. And, like, a World Approval is a perfect example. 
Julian was riding the horse. He's off the horse because he was committed to Mike Maker uh, on Arlington Million Day. So the four-star Dave and the Arlington Million was the same day. He had to take off world approval to ride for Mike Maker, who's one of his main barns. I think he rode four or five horses for him that day. We understood completely. We did. They told us up front, there's no hard feelings. We're not holding it against him. And, and, and that's how we operate. I mean, it's, but believe me, there's a lot of backdoor stuff that goes on, a lot of deceiving that goes on. We just are fortunate enough not to have to deal with those types of people. Yeah, and let me jump in here. Also, you guys have are, are great, a great training team with great horses. So who would want to stiff you guys, right? Yeah, so, business-wise, well, it ain't smart with your it, 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 you know? Exactly. And I wish we had a little bit more time to even elaborate about that. We got about 20 seconds before we close the show. So let's awesome. thank you and wish you the best of luck. Um, I know, Gino, you've got some closing words as well. Oh, just a big thanks, Norman. Uh, great job, and uh, we'll get you on during uh, college basketball season. We could talk a little bit more about Louisville because I know you're a huge, uh, huge Louisville fan. Yeah, we can do it. It's going to be hard to, to really get excited about this year, but you guys have me on anytime you want. I really appreciate you guys putting me on today, and uh, uh, look forward to hearing from you again. Good luck thanks. next week, buddy. I'll, uh, I'll try to link up with you down at Del Mar. Best of luck. Right, thanks. Well, thank you all for joining us. We're up against the clock here, so we'll look forward to continuing some Breeders' Cup conversations next week on the Mike Abadir Show with Gino Bacola. Have a good one. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Have a great week.